The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sportscaster and Her Son, where sports bridges the gap between the generations. I'm your host, Peggy Kaczynski, 12-time Emmy Award-winning sportscaster at NBC Chicago, and I'm the baby boomer. And I'm Jason. I'm the, what generation am I again? I, I don't know, like X, okay. Y, Z, um, I don't know. Anyway, I'm a writer at Busting Brackets, former student at St. Ignatius College Prep, rising freshman at UT Austin, and I'm Peggy's son. And you're you're yawning. Are you I'm tired? really tired. Why I'm are you really tired? tired? We have done nothing but lay around the house for two and a half months now, uh, being a shelter at place. You know what? I've, I think I've done a pretty good job of getting out, being out and about, um, trying to make the most of not being in school in my last summer home. Now that officially I am going to school, I know that I'll be on campus starting on August 26th up until Thanksgiving. So um, I'm just trying to make the most of my time back home. Um some days are, are relaxing, and I don't really beat myself up about it because we're in a worldwide pandemic. Um, but I think I've done a good job of, within the realm of being safe and sanitary, uh, making the most of my time off. I have done some walking. I had foot surgery uh, the week before, like five days before everything shut down. So I actually had eight weeks planned of recuperating, so I started walking last week. I have found more places in Illinois to walk than I ever realized were available. And they're they're not far from our home. Why don't you come out and do a little exercise with me? I'm good. I, <laughs> I'm, You're the only one in the family that does not work out. Well, I think I'm okay with, how, with my body structure. Um, I think I'm giving myself a lot of room to gain weight <laughs> my freshman year of college. Um, oh, you're ready. You're already counting on the freshman. 15. Yeah, it's not like I have anybody that I need to impress with how I look. So I'm just kind of doing what I want to do. I'm staying productive, though. I'm writing a little bit. I'm getting all my um, pre-orientation work done, got all my um, senior projects in and helped out with the senior slideshow. So um, it's not like I'm just kind of sitting on my ass all day. But at the same time, I'm I'm you know, I'm doing what I want to do. All right, so in this episode, the 2020 virtual draft. In the midst of a pandemic, somehow the National Football League figured this out, how to bring optimism and creativity uh, to this annual passage. This I covered the NFL draft for almost 17 straight years combined from the days when I was a production assistant and an associate producer at ESPN in Bristol, covering the NFL draft um, back in the Bristol studios, uh, all the way to my years at NBC and CLTV in Chicago. So I love the NFL draft. I absolutely love it, right? It just brings you so much. It's, it's, Exciting to see what the teams are going to do. It's exciting to see where the players are, are going. Um, I loved, I cannot tell you how much I loved the virtual draft. I loved the commissioner being in his basement. I absolutely felt that it kind of broke down, you know, those barriers that um, you're in an ivory tower. Um, although there was uh, Kiff Klingsbury's um, amazing mansion 
yeah. in, in Arizona. Okay, mm-hmm. so that was a bit of an ivory tower. Um, but it, you, like you felt more at home with these people, you, whether it was the coaches and it was Matt Nagy and his his basement walls plastered with his 2018, all his uh, play call sheets. Did you see the 2019 sheets? I If I had the opportunity to, I don't think I'd want to because those in the plays garbage. didn't work out too well. <laughs> That was yeah. my point. They were in the car. What did you think of the draft? Well, what did you that did you like how it was done? Well, personally, I love the draft. I love the NFL draft. I love the NBA draft because I'm a big college sports fan, especially college football and um, most importantly college basketball. So um on day one I know I know everybody's name. I've seen mostly everybody play. Um and that's why like I still follow day two I watch, day three I still follow along because these are guys I've been watching for two, three, four years. Um, love seeing some TCU players get picked, some Texas players get picked. Um, but I just love seeing where the guys, especially for college basketball and for the NBA draft, the guys that I've, I've watched so much throughout the year, see where they're going to end up. And in the NFL draft as well, especially with the skill players, um, it's really, really fun to see um, where, they, where they land, where you thought they were going to land the year before. Um, and I thought that the virtual presentation was it, – it was – just right on stride. Um, I thought that it was a little unnecessary, some of the commercials, um, but that is going to be the most viewed spectacle in sports next to the last dance. What do you mean? Um, there were too many commercials? There, I thought that, I thought that um, with the absence of a in-person presentation, that the um, announcement of the picks would be more, cl- I guess, closer together. Yeah. Um, but no complaints. The, the draft started at about 7 and ended at about 10.45, which is um, pretty typical. There was no absence of film, no absence of analysis. It was just it, it was it was a draft. It, I, it was real. It was just a draft, and it was fun to watch, and it was interesting, and it was cool to keep track of, and it really gave me something to train my mind on or fixate my mind on for three days. So they said that next year they'll be back to where were they supposed to be this year? It Vegas? was supposed to be in Vegas, and next year they'll be in Cleveland, and the year after they'll be in Vegas. Okay, so. Are we past the red carpet stuff? Are we past the guys Absolutely sitting in the green room? Not. Oh, Absolutely I, I not. Absolutely not. Really, because really those moments, those moments produce some of the most iconic images five years down the line. There's an image of Lamar Jackson sitting in the green room right. on day one of the 2017, 2018 um, NFL draft where he's just sitting there kind of bored, and then he ends up being the MVP last year. Um, they're the outfits of some guys. Like LeBron James' outfit is very iconic. Trey Young wearing shorts the other year. Um, those oh, are were... NBA draft. NFL draft, they're, they were supposed to do where the players were taken on a boat across the water onto the stage right. in Vegas, which was going to be incredible. So, no, we are by no means past that. The draft is still a very profitable event in person. Everybody in the city wants to go to the event. I remember when it was in Chicago a couple of years ago, you actually had to enter in a, a like, lottery. Yeah. Um, in order to go and the lottery filled up. That's something that people want to go to. People want to go support their teams. People want to see history be made. Um, so we are by no means past that at all. The players will agree that that's one of the most memorable experiences of being a pro athlete. Uh, the fans, the execs, everybody loves it. So 
you have, but you had some of those moments. You had um, iconic uh, moments, like who was the player that was in his bathrobe on his couch? That was pretty funny. You had, um, let me think. Oh, Mike Vrabel's son on the toilet in the background, which, for the record, he said he was not actually on the toilet; that he was sitting on a, a kitchen stool next to his mom. But I mean, there were still great moments. There were really some really fun, funny moments. So maybe they can combine some of those elements and not. Everything well, has to be in studio. Well, I, and- I, I don't think that one of the big, the something that won't be taken away from this whole crisis is that we don't need the in-person analysis because we, if we've learned anything, it's, it still goes a lot smoother like that. It's much better to have four people in studio and, and people live at the arena, at the stadium, announcing these things, analyzing. Um, so no, I don't think that this is going to be a thing where it's like, oh, well, we don't have to do this because anything that the NFL can profit off of, especially if the season is affected by the pandemic and they're going to lose money, they're absolutely going to try to profit off of no matter yeah. what. So I don't think that this is going to be a poster child for drafts to come. I just think that this is going to be a bright spot of what was done well during a pandemic, which we hopefully never have to revisit well maybe like how they do um out uh, what's the show where it's um training camp with the team uh, why, hard knocks thank you hard knocks maybe they pick one team each year and they get to do some at home stuff there's going to be a camera at that head coach or maybe uh uh current players homes something like so, that so the the problem with doing um a hard knocks type situation for draft preparation is you have to look at like when a player is drafted, they don't stick with the team for their entire career. So you're going to see some things like executives and coaches determining picking between a player and a player and say player A gets picked over player B. Well, player B becomes a free agent in four years, and they know that that s- certain team passed up on them knowingly, um, ha- had this debate and knowingly chose to, d- to pick another player, a player that could end up being a lesser player. So I don't think that any team is going to sign off on something that right. can – potentially get in the way of a relationship with a player once a hit free agency. And plus they also don't want, they, they want, they don't want to divulge all their secrets of how they make decisions. Oh, and for sure. For sure. So I, I get that, but I'm thinking more in terms of the access behind the scenes, like maybe on draft night, they pick one team that allows a camera like at the home of, you know, Matt Nagy or, you know, Ryan Pace or Kyle Long or something like that. So that, that would, I hope that they keep it up. So speaking of the bears, um, what did you think? First of all, everyone wondered whether or not they were going to draft a quarterback because there were so many quarterbacks available this year. Because here's the reason, Jason, when Ryan Pace came and I was covering the team, he, he said, said that he would, he would be okay yes. with drafting a quarterback every single year because that was always the way the Packers did it. Right. Saints and the Saints. Yeah. And he didn't. And instead it was Packers trading up for Jordan Love. I'm so, almost afraid to say what were they thinking because you look back and Aaron Rodgers was a nobody. Well, Aaron Rodgers, his age at the moment is the age that Brett Favre was when the Packers picked Aaron Rodgers. Um, so this is pretty much the Packers organizational tra- trajectory. This is what they do as a, as a group. Um, they're just breeding young talent. I thought that it was somewhat of a smart move but if you're going to draft the heir apparent to Aaron Rodgers I would have hoped it wouldn't be Jordan Love who threw all those interceptions last year looked did not look apt at all to adjust the new system at Utah State I watched think they were against Wake Forest week one and he looked awful he looked terrible he's got a great arm he makes great throws but I just 
I didn't. I understood the concept of trading up and picking a quarterback, but I did not understand picking Jordan Love, and I certainly did not understand going seven rounds without drafting a wide receiver when you have one of the weakest wide receiver and actually offensive skill player cores in the entire league. I didn't yeah. understand that at all. They drafted a running back, I believe, in the second round. Yeah. That made no sense to me. They drafted a running back the year before in Dexter Williams from Notre Dame who just didn't play at all. Um, so the Packers, they botched the draft. That You brought up Jordan Love, and I think he'll be a great quarterback in the NFL, but I do. I didn't. I, he has all the tools. He needs to be in the right system. Mm. Um, I feel like we say that about everybody, but just based on the eye test, um, it, it wasn't the Packers did not do a very good job as for the bears. Yeah. The NFL is the one league of the four major sports leagues where you draft for need the NBA. You can draft like a young toolsy player. MLB, you draft a guy that you're going to want in the league four or five years from now. Um, NHL, you draft guys that you develop as well. The NFL, you draft for need, especially rounds one through three. The Bears did, sort of. I don't understand. I, I understood the Komet pick because I think that he's going to be a great, versatile tight end that can do. He can block, he can catch passes, red zone threat. But when you have, what is it, 10, 11 tight ends on the roster, yeah. it's a complete log jam. Right. It's a complete log jam. Um, as for the Jalen Johnson pick, I loved it. I loved it. I saw him play at Utah, watch him play against Texas in the Alamo Bowl, against Oregon in the Pac-12 Championship. He's a great coverage cornerback. Um, and I a, think great, was, a great get yeah. where they got Yeah, him. I think it was Matt Miller said, from Bleach Report said that he believes in a couple of years he'll become better than Kyle Fuller. I completely agree. His ball skills are excellent. Um, that was a great upgrade from Prince and Bukamara. What the Bears didn't do... I. I don't understand waiting that long to draft a wide receiver, especially without Taylor Gabriel. Who's that, Mooney? Yeah, you have Allen Robinson, who's going to have a great year, regardless of who's throwing him the ball. He showed that last year. He had he had an above-average year with one of the worst quarterback situations I've ever seen in my life. Um, and Anthony Miller, who one day you're going to get 100 yards and two touchdowns out of him. The other day he's going to be non-existent. So they don't. They really don't have a number two guy. Mm-hmm. The, I the, this was a this was the draft for wide receivers. I believe seven wides were picked in the first round. Six or seven were picked in the first round, and another five or six went in the second round. And the Bears just didn't take one. I don't get it at all. You don't have a true deep threat. You don't have a slot receiver. The, I well, it tells you that they had Cole Komet ranked much higher on their draft board than the wide receivers that were available. Well, Komet getting picked and then no tight end going off the board until like 25 picks later just showed this was not a good draft for tight ends at all. Going into the year, it wasn't going to be a good draft for tight ends. And by the time the year was over, it was even worse here. Some of the big guys, Bryson Hopkins from Purdue had an awful year. He fell. Um, Some of the other guys, I know Washington had a tight end. Austin Bryant did not have a good year. So it's not a good draft for tight ends. So I don't really get, especially with signing Jimmy Graham, it was like the Bears were almost being counterproductive in giving that kind of money to an old sort of washed up player in Jimmy Graham. And then you come back and with your first pick in the draft, you pick somebody of the same position. You're not the Patriots. You're not going to run out this deadly two tight end set. So I, I didn't get it. And as for the question about picking a quarterback, no, I don't think that that would have been a wise call at all. 
the top, like the very upper echelon of the quarterbacks in this draft, Burrow, Tagovailoa, Herbert, very good. Very good. Those are three guys that are going to start. They're going to be they're going to be franchise quarterbacks. But everything else, it's like Jalen Hurts, okay, I think he'll be a quality backup. But they, sh- they made the right choice passing up on him in the second round. Next year's draft should be solid for quarterbacks. There's Trevor Lawrence. If the Bears, if everything goes wrong and, and the quarterback situation's awful and they completely tank this year, then you're going to be able to get Trevor Lawrence next year. Potentially North Dakota State's got a great quarterback. Sam Ellinger from Texas is always a good option. So uh, I... I just no the quarterback. I don't think that that would have been a wise pick at all this year in any round. That's why the draft is so fun because you never know until you know when they start playing. I don't know if they're going to strike gold like they did back in two thousand with their ninth overall pick. That was one of my first years covering the Bears. Um, they got this guy six three, two hundred fifty eight pounder, fast. He was powerful, agile. It was really weird. Like, he played safety. He was a wide receiver at times. He was a return guy. Oh, wait a second. Yeah, now he's in the Hall of Fame. Brian Erlacher, 20 years ago, and now he's joining us here on the podcast. Brian, how are you? I can't believe that was 20 years ago. I I was doing something like the day I was 20 years ago, I got drafted. Someone sent me a picture. I was like, "Oh my god, <laughs> I was a I was a baby. I was 21 years old. It's amazing how fast it goes by. I uh, I just remember my rookie year like it was yesterday. It's crazy. Uh, it, it's... Hey, oh, hey, Peggy, I was six four. I'm still six four, by the way. Oh, Not you were six, like three. Six, six three four. and three quarters, <laughs> no. I think. Six three and seven eighths at the combine. So yeah. Weird. Uh, up. So all right, up. so that's what you know. What? Let's go to the combine because. Um, you know, it, it's changed a lot in 20 years, but ta- take yeah. me back to the combine when you were there. Um, the whole story with whether you were going to run the 40 or not, um, you had just put on weight, right? You had put on like extra muscle since your your last uh, game or your, your last college game. And, and what was the story with you not going to run, you know, which most of the top 10 picks yeah. wouldn't do? Um, take us back to how that all played out. Yeah, so back then, we were, everyone was, was advised not to run because allegedly Indy's track was slow. Everyone ran slower times at the combine, you know, and then you go to your pro day and you run a 10 faster, whatever it was. Um, so I wasn't going to run. I was advised not to run be, or do anything, actually, because um, it just everything was slower there. But, and then I, I was funny, I sat in a meeting with the Bears and Coach Greg Walsh was in there and he goes, You're going to run? I go, No, sir, I'm not. He goes, What do you have to hide? I go, I was like, What? He goes, what are you hiding? Are you not fast? Are you not in shape? I go, no, I've been working out for three and a half months. I'm in shape. I'm, you know, four, five, four, four, whatever I, you know, I've run. He goes, well, why don't you show everyone? And he goes, he, he gave me great advice. He goes, every GM is here. Every coach is here. Every scout, they're not all going to be at your pro day. He goes, I know you're planning on running at your pro day, but you're not going to get a chance to have all these guys watch you around the same day and the, as big a stage as you are here. I was like, you know what? I accepted the challenge and I, uh, I did everything else that I was supposed to do, and I ended up running the 40. I think I ran like a 4.57 or a 4.58. Not my best 40, um, but I you know, I got there and did it. I think it I only improved my stock by getting out there and doing everything. Yeah. Now the draft is – everything about the draft now is televised. It's yes. crazy to me. You can watch every um, event these guys do every – it's just – it's nuts. There's no privacy. Well, except for the meetings with the teams, which I would love to be a fly on the wall for some of those meetings. Uh, Oof, what, yeah. what were they – did you know what position you would be playing in the NFL at that point? Did you know if you were going to be safety or if you were going to move to linebacker? 
I was pretty sure I'd be a linebacker. You know, I was 258 pounds at the combine, 6'4", 258. Um, you know, I was a decent safety in college. I, I just never got blocked. And all I did was run to the football. We had a, a position created for me in that defense, and, and it worked pretty well for me. But I was pretty sure I'd be a linebacker. Um, <clears throat> I wasn't fast enough to be a safety. Um, a lot of people compared me to Lynch, but I was just a little bit bigger. Um, but obviously the transition was kind of hard at first going down the linebacker. You know, I, I struggled early on in training camp and at the beginning of the season. And the, the more reps I got, the better I got. But I, in my mind, I was, I was always going to be a linebacker. Oh, and by the way, Greg Blash, when he was on the show, he said um, if we did talk to you anytime soon uh, to let you know that uh, you're welcome because he earned you a lot of money <laughs> by convincing you uh, to run the 40 at the country. To run. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. I, I, I do appreciate that. Greg was the man. And, you know, my first four years were awesome playing for him. He taught me so much at a, at a young age. And you know, As a rookie, you don't know what to expect. You don't know what to do. And you know, some guys are mean, some guys are nice. Blosh was always fair with me. He was, you know, he was like a father figure, but always fair. But he was just fun to play for. I had a, I had a good time playing for Greg, and I got better. You know, all four years, I got better and better. One of like the best kept secrets, I think, from a fan standpoint, is like the interview process and what teams contact you, especially as like a top ten prospect. So, um, did sure. you kind of figure going into the draft day that you're going to go to the Bears, or were there any other teams that uh, you mm-hmm. thought you'd end up with? So Mel Kuyper projected me number nine to the Bears right when college football was over. Like in December or whenever the last game was, he projected me to the Bears right away. I was like, what? Whoa. I like, oh. First of all, I didn't think I'd be that high of a draft pick. And I was like, why would he? Anyway, uh, there was another scenario that had me going, I think, number seven to the Cardinals. And I ended up taking Thomas Jones, one of my old teammates. So mm. uh, thank you, Cardinals, for taking TJ and uh, – you know, and then uh, the Bears also talked about taking Plexico Burris if he was available at number nine because Gary Croton was our OC at the time. And, you know, our offense was explosive back then. They wanted receivers. Thank goodness uh, Pittsburgh took uh, Plex at number eight, and I, I was there at number nine, so they, they luckily took me. Wow. Did you have any other interests outside of uh, New Mexico? I mean, I'm still stunned that you played at New Mexico. What's wrong with New Mexico, no, 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 Nothing, nothing. <laughs> See, this is what Brian would uh, do to me. This is totally what yeah. Brian would do to me. If I, he would like exactly ask a right. question right back at me, you know, and force you to stay on well, your you're toes. Slapping my, <laughs> you're slapping my school in the face. No, no. I had no other offers. When I committed to UNM, it was the only offer that I had. I took one. I had a bunch of letters from smaller schools. I even got some letters from Cornell. Way east. You know, I had good grades in high school, but I – um Man, I wow. took a visit to UNM, and Coach Francioni said, we'd like to offer you a scholarship, but if you don't accept it right now, we will give it to somebody else. So I was like, I'll take it. You know, obviously, from a kid who didn't plan on going to play college football or was just lucky to get anywhere out of his hometown, I was I was pumped. I was ecstatic. And then New Mexico State called me like a week later, like, oh, we'd like you to come take a visit. I was like, yeah, I'm good. I already committed to UNM. Thank you, though. No one, <laughs> no one recruited. No small schools offered me a scholarship. Wow. No other big schools. Uh, it, I just, you know, I, I just think where I grew up, where I went to school, just uh, they, they get a chance to get seen by a lot of people. It wow. worked out great, though. I would not have changed anything about where I went to school, about who I played for, nothing. Mm. Tell me more about playing in New Mexico. What do you think was the benefit of playing at a smaller school in terms of popularity and media coverage? Yeah. That's a great question because, you know, my, my last, my first two years I played for Coach Francione, I was a linebacker. Um, I, I was okay. I never, I didn't start one game my first two years. I led our team in tackles my sophomore year and didn't start a game. And then my last two years, Rocky Long came in 
and he let me be a football player. Man, I played receiver. I returned kicks. I covered kicks. I played gunner on punt team. I uh, played safety. You know, I just did – he let me be a football player. I'd, I'd average 100 and some snaps a game. So I was worn out after games, but it just it allowed me to kind of showcase what I could do, just be an athlete out there and just be a football player, which I don't think if I go to a different school, I don't think that happens. So um, I, everything's kind of fell into place for me, and I was able to, to showcase what I could do on the field. Did, did I see that you actually had six touchdowns and nine looks your way when you were playing wide receiver? That's unbelievable. Yeah. So I had uh, seven catches and six touchdowns, and I caught one one pass on it, like a fourth and twenty five that was short of the first down. But yeah, oh. you know, I was I was a red zone guy, Peggy. We throw me in. I'm uh, six four. I'm rounded up still, but I was six four. Most of DBs, you know, five eleven, six foot. Our cornerback would just throw it up, and I go catch it. It was uh, it was fun. That's why you had such good hands, and you'd be so mad when you dropped a pick. I mean, that it always well, killed me. Like it uh, it really irked you when you would drop a pick. You had great hands. I, I felt like I had really good hands. And I, did, I didn't drop any. You know what? Babbage gave me one drop pick, damn it, one year. I, don't, I didn't drop. It was damn near impossible to catch, but I got a hand on it. And he gave me a drop pick, which pissed me off. But I, uh, in the games, I didn't really, I, you know, practice times, I, 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 there was something that went through my hands. But I always felt like I had good hands. I don't know why. I just, um, and I prided myself. And Lance and I, would we do our drills, and we talk a little smack to each other about who had better hands as well. Because Lance had really good hands, too, for a backer. You know, he played running back in high school. I live in college, so I just think you know handling the ball at a young age helps out a little bit. Handling the football at a young age helps out a little bit. So some of the favorite players that I've covered for the Bears were linebackers. The linebacking core, I don't know what it is. They've just been so special with the Bears. Um, one of my favorite guys was Rosie Colvin, and oh, yeah. he was drafted the year before you, right? Mm-hmm. And he, so yep. he was the starting Sam backer. And then is that right? No, he was the no, no. You're right. Yeah. You're right, but. I, when they drafted me, he was our starting Sam. Yeah. Uh, because the year before him, we had a guy, um, Rico McDonald. Rico, totally remember Rico. him, yep. Rico was gone that year, so Rosie was slotted to start that year. And then they drafted me. And go ahead, I'll let you talk. No, no, no. I was just going to say that um, to really, for for Rosie, you know, you were supposed to be at the Sam. Rosie really beat you out, didn't he, your rookie year? Hell yeah, he beat me out. And I think it lit a fire under Rosie when they kind of yep. when they threw me in there after not having played Sam my entire life. Rosie was good, man. I was I was I'd watch him in practice like wow his hands are he has perfect placement. He wasn't super fast, but Rosie had a great first step. You know, he had like I think he had back to back ten sack seasons um at D N you know we put him at D N on third down, but he taught me so much and he he did not like me at first because obvious for obvious reasons they just threw me in there. But um, and then he beat me out. I think the second week of preseason, and then they, you know, Barry ends up getting hurt week two, and they put me a mic. And there you go. It was me, Warwick, and uh, Rosie starting there for a couple of years. Amazing. One thing I've noticed yeah, so far is everything worked out. One thing that I've noticed, like how much of your accolades and the impact you had in football, you attribute to your coaches. So, um, what can yeah. you say about Lovey Smith's system throughout your career in Chicago? Man, the coach Smith system, it just gave me a chance. So everyone talks about our cover two, our cover two, but we adjusted that every single year to benefit me. You know, it was always known for for the Will linebacker. You know, you had Derek Brooks down there in Tampa who did what he did in that defense, and Lance was in our defense. But we adjusted every year to kind of play to my strength. I didn't, I wasn't always running down the middle like some backers do in that defense. I could actually sit around and line of scrimmage and make some plays. And for a, you know, for a bend but quote unquote bend but don't break defense. I had a lot of tackles at the line of scrimmage or behind the line of scrimmage, and so did Lance. And that's just because we were aggressive. But 
I love playing for him. And I, I thought I played hard. You know, I always felt like I was a, a player who got to the football and was a high-effort guy. Uh-uh, not till they got there. You know, I always ran to the football before they got there. But when they start pointing you out in meetings to your, and around your teammates mm. and embarrassing you, you will run to the football. I, I know that much. I learned really quick that I didn't like being called out in front of my teammates. And no one on our, on our team did. And if you're any kind of competitor, you don't like that. So we uh, that kind of lit a fire on all of us to get to the damn football, and it worked. You know, it's funny you say being the competitor. That's one of – if people ask me what you were like as, as a player, I said, you know, just you could just watch the film. But as a personality, you – really love to compete you competed and competed yeah. and whether you guys were playing those stupid games in the locker room uh yeah. <laughs> happy sack or whatever you guys were playing there were yeah. so many tied you know rolled up uh uh balls of tape that you guys were doing yeah. you were super competitive and it reminds me brian now that we're watching the last dance can how you, great is that by the right? way can you relate oh. to how competitive mj was in his prime can you relate to that feeling I, I can relate to it but i cannot become anywhere close to the type of, he he didn't care if you hurt people's feelings right i mean michael won he, he knew how to motivate guys and i played golf with michael I've been around a few times he just man when he gets in that mode there's i i, I get chills watching that show every week i can't wait till sunday night at six o'clock for our time i just I count the seconds down to turn it on. It's just, it's amazing because the success they had, number one, and just the way he, he drove guys, you know, it's, it's amazing how, how much he got out of his teammates and, and they respected him for it. You know, some guys said he was a, you know, few choice words, but he got, he, uh, the thing that, that stood out for me last week was he said, I've never asked my teammates to do something that I wouldn't do. Right. You know, I never asked them to do more than, than I would do. Whatever they would do, I would do it or, you know, they could see me doing it. Just, it's phenomenal to watch. The, the wording he used and how he challenged his teammates in practice. And I, I in practice, I don't really give our, our team, my teammates in the games if we screwed up. That's when I kind of blew my lid a little bit if some some of them made a mistake in the game. But practices, you know, that's football's different than basketball. We we don't have, you know, we, we, we change our game plan every week. So it's different. But in, in the games, if something happened, I would be a little different. You know, and Michael changed his game as he got older. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, I covered him in 92, 93 was my first years back in Chicago. And, um, you know, he was above the rim. He was an acrobat. It was really amazing to watch. And then by the end of his career, he was a great shooter. He was a great a shooter. great shooter. Right? Yeah. You know, it's unbelievable to watch his body change as well. The older guy, when he, when he figured out that he had to put some muscle on, you know, for the, for the Pistons. But early on, man, he did things. None of these guys these days can, can fly like he flew. Or, or I'm just going to I'll go on and on about Michael all day. But his defense, like, he played defense like none of these guys do now. It's, it's amazing. He was all defensive NBA, like, what, 10, 12 times? Defensive yeah. player of the year twice. Um, just unbelievable the accolades. He, he took defense seriously. Scotty was the same way, man. If you put those two guys uh, on your wing or your point, they're done. They're not going to do anything. Um, and just, the funny thing to me is every episode they show one little thing that pissed Michael off. <laughs> that, that would, that would, you know, you had Coach um, Carl walking by him and not saying hi to him at a restaurant. Yeah. You had the guy from the Bullets scoring 37. The next guy, my, next night, Michael scores 36 in the first half. So <laughs> it's just, it's the things he would find to motivate him every game just to put him over the edge. It was, I guess, when, you, when you're that good, you got to find things to motivate you. It's just unreal to watch, though. It, it was, and then for us covering, 
Let me tell you something. There still has been nothing like covering a Bulls practice or a game with Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Dennis Rodman. I mean, it yeah. was rock stars. It was a hundred, Brian, 150 media members at every practice. You would have hated that. You would have hated oh, man. that. I, I jumped off a bridge. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with that. Yeah. You know, you watch after the games, everyone just swarms, but not just the media, but I just the attention he got everywhere he went. Well deserved, obviously, but man, it had to drive him crazy. It just he lived in a bubble, man. He couldn't go to the golf course, couldn't do anything. It was uh, it was crazy. Hey, you played golf with him. What, what did he shoot? What did I, you shoot? I have. You know, it was like in two, the first time I played was in two thousand one. I oh. wasn't very good back then. He, he probably shot high seventies. I shot probably mid eighties. Oh. Uh, it wasn't a big gambling game because I was a little sissy back then. So I uh, I didn't I didn't want to get beat up by Michael on the golf course. His pockets are a lot deeper than mine. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Other than golf, what have you been doing to keep busy during this whole pandemic outbreak, everything? Yeah. You know what? Luckily, here in Arizona, we can still go outside and pretty much do everything. So I've been riding my mountain bike every day or my road bike, whichever I'll try to take a day off in between, uh, switch back and forth. Um, the biggest thing is obviously the kids are home from school. You know, that's different. Uh, we, we try and and they're all doing it online. My, my daughter, who's a college student, is doing all hers. She goes to KU, Kansas, and she's doing all of her stuff online. She's almost done. My two little ones, uh, our freshman and eighth grader, are just doing their review stuff on the computer. So that's the biggest difference. But luckily here in Arizona, we can still go outside. We can play golf. Um, I know it's much, much different there in Chicago. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, we're we're I, finally I getting we're finally getting some sunshine, but you know it's just that the the numbers keep going up and down, up and down. Although our Hello. golf course um, Medina just opened, so um, yeah, at least two sums at least two sums are going out. So that's good. So walking are you walking with your own walking yeah. with your own carrying your own bag? That does not sound like fun to me, Peggy. No, well, actually, me <laughs> neither. I hate to say it, but I, I'd rather have a caddy or a it. cart. I know. I know. Hey, are you e teaching? Are you actually teaching your kids? No, hell no. Come on, man. <laughs> I, I quit being able to help my kids about five years ago. Yeah, They're right. so advanced in their schooling now and what they learn at a young age. Yeah, I uh, I don't even attempt to help them, man. They're, if they ask questions, they ask my oldest daughter, Pamela. She's the genius in the family. So they ask her. She lines them up, and we're good to go. Obviously, nobody's ever really went through something like this before, especially with all the sports on hold. So if you were playing right now, what would you be doing to prepare for the season, assuming Ooh, that there will eventually be a season? That's a good yeah. question. That's a good question. You know, in 2011, was it that when we got locked out, Peggy? Is that when the, yeah. the lockout was? It was similar football-wise. There was no off-season. There was no working out. And I came in great shape to training camp. I just You work out on your own. You know, you, you've, you've been around. Even if you're, you're, you're going from college to the NFL, you know what it takes to get your body ready to play. You know if you're in shape, you know if you're not. Um, I, I I feel like most guys are professionals and they will do the things they need to do to to, um, to be ready. But I would just work out on my own. You know, I'd go work out every morning. I'd lift um, or, you know, if I could, I would do something in my house lifting-wise and then go find a park, which we have here plenty of, and, and just run and do my football drills um, and just get in the best shape as I could. So when they did open the doors, I'd be ready to go. You think, but as a rookie, some of these guys, how, what are they going to miss out on if they're not able to have training yeah. camps in July? If they're not able to get together, you know, I mean, I guess you can do your Zoom meetings. Um, well, they're doing the Zooms. You know, I was actually Zoomed in with uh, Babich and his linebackers last week for, for Buffalo. Coach asked me to come in. So I, I talked to them for like 25 minutes in their Zoom meeting. It's different. You know, you can't, the hands on stuff and in the, in, in the classroom stuff is, is where, 
that's where you really do the teaching, I think. And, you know, we'll see how much the Zoom helps. I don't, I don't know. I mean, it's better than doing nothing. I know that much. Do you still keep up with sorry. the Bears now? Do you still keep up with them? Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, love, I mean, I'm a huge, I'm number one Bears fan. I, uh, I love the organization. I the, love what they're doing. Nagy's a stud. Uh, Pace has done a good job with them. Yeah, I'm, I'm a huge Bears fan. But, I, you know, Babbage asked me to come on. So, of course, I can't say they'll pull a bob. <laughs> I still love this the Halloween story with Peanut Tillman and uh and oh, Bob that video was the, the best right? video I've ever seen. Tell Bob, us what happened. Terrible. That's still one of the funniest. Yeah, you know, these are one so, of those like so, behind the scenes with athletes yeah. that are just you know jocularity. So Bob uh, Bob lived in the same neighborhood with uh, Peanut Tillman and Todd Johnson lived in that neighborhood as well. So Bob, you know, our coaches work late every night. So I think it was like nine thirty, and Nancy Bob's wife had been in contact with Peanut and said, "Hey." He's on his way home, so get ready. So Peanut puts on his Chewbacca outfit, and Todd Johnson's filming this whole thing. So Bob pulls into his garage, and Peanut, I think, comes around the corner or so in the Chewbacca outfit and screams at Bob. And I'm not going to try to emulate his scream because you can't. It's just, let me just say, he scared the piss out of Bullet. I mean, Bob's like, Aah! And Nancy busts out of the uh, the door laughing. Bob, and Peanut pulls his mask off, and he goes, Peanut! What the he just yelled at Peanut, and then of course, the next day or in our team meeting two days later, they put it on the um, in our coach Smith goes, we we, have, we got a video to show everybody. <laughs> he put it on the team screen. They had it on video. Oh, is oh that yeah, funny. Well, uh, Todd Johnson recorded it. It was oh. phenomenal. It was great. Oh yeah, my man, god, we had some good times. It, it was well, it was two thousand. I think that was oh six. So we were winning every game. So we could do whatever we wanted to. That's why you guys were so fun to cover, though. It's, it's really great personalities on the team. Well, it's not to always mention. fun when you win. Everyone's right. got a great personality when you're winning games. You know that goes. Yeah. You find out how guys are when you start losing. And the finger pointing starts, which we never really had uh, when I was there. We had great teammates who didn't really do that. Well, we're hoping that things turn around for this uh, the, the Bears soon here. It's been way too long. I still can't believe it was 20 years ago when you you know reported Ugh. to Lake Forest as a – a scrawny, skinny. No, you were never scrawny and skinny. You, were... I, well, you know what, Peggy? It's funny. I was two thirty eight at the combine when I reported for tra- after our last day at training camp. I was like two thirty eight. I lost twenty pounds that first training camp. Oh my god! It's just god. you know you, you you gear up, you put the weight on, you train, you eat, and then when you get to training camp, it's like whoa, you know you're not working out the same. You know, eat the same, and, and you go back to your normal body weight. It's weird. Wow, amazing! But Brian, well, thank you skinny. for picking up the phone. We appreciate it. It's great yeah, to kind of go back in time a little on. bit. I feel like I still see you all the time because every freaking oh, uh, don't get me started on the billboards. <laughs> every billboard. How are the oh locks? Are the locks still long and luscious? Oh yeah, I'm looking good. I got a haircut a couple days ago. Looking pretty smooth today. I'm not wearing a hat. Nice and sunny out here. So I'm feeling good about the hair. I'm definitely restored and liking my do. Great to talk to you again, Brian. Take care right, of yourself, care. okay? Thank Bye, you. All righty. Bye bye. I love the interview. I really did. A lot of great insight. It wasn't like a typical, like, tell us about your career. And, you know, it was just stuff that we didn't necessarily know. I didn't know that he didn't have any offers. Um, I didn't know about about the touchdown catches or, or really about any of that. So it was very interesting, very insightful, a lot of new knowledge. And it was really interesting just to pick the brain of one of the best players in Bears history. And super cool for Brian to come on because he and I, uh, we always had a good relationship, but it was always, you know, he, he, he would play me. He would definitely play me and just kind of be like, no, Peggy, you know, while he's shaking his head, yes, and stuff like that. So um, really, really appreciate Love having him on. Um, your predictions. 
Okay, my predictions. Um, number one, very relevant to what's going on right now. We're going to get some college sports in the fall. NCAA just approved um, athletes heading back to campus on July 1st. Um, I believe, what school did I just read? Um, Louisville, actually. They're having athletes um, begin to come back to campus on Wednesday. So I think that... We're going to have college sports in the fall. I don't know what capacity. I don't know if they're going to be fans. I know Ohio State rolled out um, their plan to potentially have up to 50,000 fans in the seat. So all I know is we're going to get college sports in the fall. Very exciting for me, at least, because this is what I've been waiting for for 17 years is to is to see some college sports in person Yay! as a student. Um, so there's my first prediction is that um, we're going to get college sports in the fall. And I have a prediction that you're not going to let us come visit you. Oh, I mean... <laughs> I want to go to some college football games, too, at Texas. I mean, Northwestern's, like, right in our backyard. Oh, thanks. Sorry. <laughs> um, Anything else? Yeah. So my second prediction, um, I'm going to say that the MLB draft, which is shortened to five rounds, is going to be an absolute disaster. High school players, they're going to be, if they're unsignable before, they're going to be unsignable now because there's just no benefit to going to the league right now. There's absolutely no benefit. The players are at a standstill with the owners. I don't know if baseball is going to be played. I genuinely, I do not know. Um, so I think this MLB draft is going to be a disaster and it's going to have its effects for the next decade because you only have five rounds to pick talent when the MLB draft is typically 40 rounds and some of the great players that were picked in the teens and mm. in the 20s and in the 30s, it's, it's going to be an absolute meltdown any last prediction um no that you're gonna have a good no. summer yeah you know what? i think actually i'm gonna have a good summer um phase three illinois about to, supposed to open back Soon. up a little bit more on may 29th so don't expect me home as much as i have been home um <laughs> yeah that's about it great all right so this week my husband your dad um, and I did a yearly ritual and it's something that we've done for 20 years. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. So that is taking our African Selkata tortoise out of his pen in the basement and bringing him into the backyard. His name is Cliff. We named him after Cliff Coral, the former Blackhawk, who is a friend of ours. Okay, so here's the problem with Cliff the tortoise is he, how much do you think he weighs, Jason? He weighs like anywhere between 65 and 85 pounds. Exactly. And we can no longer carry him up the basement stairs. So uh, my husband grabs a rolling suitcase and puts Cliff the tortoise inside, zips it up, wheels him up the stairs and outside. He unzips the suitcase, lets him out to roam for the rest of the summer. So I posted this video on TikTok and the responses from people I have gotten is hysterical. Everyone's like, um, I don't know what to even think about that. So I'll tell you what not to think, that it's not that bad of a deal, okay? He didn't suffer any harm. Uh, it's not oh, like... Oh, is, is PETA coming at the family? Uh, you know, listen. Okay, he lives a better life than most African Selkatas. He, he gets to live in the backyard. <laughs> he lives under a pine tree. He eats grass. He gets to use a bathroom anywhere. Gets a bath like twice a month. And then he lives in, in the basement and I he's well-fed and well... Like, he's warm and everything. I think it's So anybody, he... anybody that's criticizing that... <laughs> Think of the alternative. Think of the alternative. Here's one. Here's one. It's not as bad as um, former Blackhawk Adam Burrish putting his little sister in his hockey bag when he was a teenager, zipping it up and pushing her down the stairs. <laughs> now that's... Okay, that's another story for another day. Maybe we'll have to get Adam on to talk about that. All right, don't forget that you can find the podcast uh, website at thesportscasteranherson.com. We are also on Facebook and Twitter. 
And thank you all for listening. Check us out on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify. Tune in wherever you listen. And here is a reminder, if you love this show, please leave us a review. Go to ratethispodcast.com slash sportscaster and follow the simple instructions. Thank you to Pro Football Hall of Famer, former Chicago Bear Brian Erlacher for joining us. You can find him on Twitter, though I don't think he'll respond very much. And you can see him if you are in the Chicagoland area on I-94, I-90, 290, 294 North and South, uh, any expressway or tollway in the Chicagoland area because he is plastered on billboards everywhere, still showing off his restore hair. Thank you guys all for joining us. Stay healthy and goodbye. Bye. The Sportscaster and Her Son is brought to you by Electroflex, a global leader in electrical conduit for over 60 years. Makers of Liquitite Flexible Conduit, electrically connecting our world.